1: Hey everybody, Josh here. Uh, It is Monday, uh, November 21st, and with this episode of March of the Pigs, it's a very special one because this is the first episode of season two. Um, Josh, why does your podcast have seasons? I don't know. Uh, Some of my favorite podcasts have done seasons in the past. I think it's a cool way to kind of change things up a little bit and refresh it and make it new. Um, so I figured with uh, with as big a guest as we have on today's episode, we would use that to kick off season two. Um, let's say you're new and you go, hey, man, this is the first episode I'm listening to. Where do I hear season one? We'll make it available eventually, uh, probably on my website. I'll probably have it available. Um, a couple other exciting things that I think are going to come along with season two um, one of the things I love if you listen to the Joe Rogan experience, I love when they do fight companion podcasts, and I also love when uh my favorite actors or comedians live tweet show premieres and things like that. So, one of the things we're gonna do with ginormous food coming soon is we're gonna do versions of March of the Pigs called Bite Companion. That's right. Stole it, made it about food. Um <laughs> But we're going to do Bite Companion podcasts, which are hopefully going to be live broadcasts where myself and some of the crew or producers or or whatever, maybe even restaurant owners, but people involved with um, the episodes of Ginormous Food uh, will be, uh, I don't necessarily know about like live uh, going along with it because it's only a 21 minute episode. But we'll basically sit down and kind of go through the episodes as they come out. And then you guys will have a nice little commentary track and maybe get some fun bonus behind-the-scenes stuff that you didn't get to see or didn't find out about when watching the show. So we thought it would be a fun kind of bonus content way to give you guys sort of a behind-the-scenes. So look out for Bike Companions. We're also going to be tweaking the format of pigs a little bit, and I've talked about this in episodes before, but this is going to be much more food-centric going forward. Um, And that is primarily because one of the other things that we're going to do over on Adam Todd Brown's Unpopular Opinion Network is a live version, podcast version of The Darkest Hour. We've talked about doing this for a while and um, not sure exactly when we're going to launch it because he and I have both been rather busy with travel. But ideally what we would like to do is make The Darkest Hour shows in L.A. that we do something fun for people that aren't in Los Angeles where the people that are going to be on the Darkest Hour shows every month will actually come on the podcast and kind of talk a little bit about their writing process um, and how they came up with the material that they're doing on the Darkest Hour or that they have done. Maybe, they've, maybe they're have maybe guests that we've had on them in the past, and we say, oh, man, that's a great bit. We'd love to hear more of the story behind that. And that's what that podcast will be for. So hopefully you guys like that idea. It'll also give us a place to kind of put more of the just uh, shitting around and comedy talk Um you know, and the goofing off that takes place in some of these episodes and sort of compartmentalize it into that podcast and really keep this one focused on more travel, food, um, and just general silliness. So that's kind of the goal, uh, as far as updates with the show, still looking at an early January premiere date, but I don't have an official date for you guys yet. That'll be announced as soon as I have it, uh, provoke the stand up special still on hold, um, with, uh, With when that's going to come out, a little bit of news that I don't know many people know about. I signed with a new agency here in Los Angeles uh, over at United Talent. And um, that's something that that the team and I are going to be working on uh, kind of once we know what's happening with the show. But obviously the show kind of changes the dynamic of that. And hopefully uh, with some success, we'll open some more doors and kind of help us make the special thing uh, more special. So with that being said, this episode, Season 2, Episode 1. Some of you guys are going, Josh, 201, what are you trying to make it look like you did 199? Nope. That's how television shows are numbered. That's how we're going to number these. So 201 is actually Season 2, Episode 1. And this guest, uh, our guest this week is Brian Redband. Crazy enough, uh, Redband's been around in the comedy community here in L.A. um, as long or longer than I have been. So at least 10 years or seven years, I should say, um, I think closer to 10 and uh, in semantics. Uh, either way, I did not know that we're practically next door neighbors and we just bumped into each other one day at uh, a sandwich place and just started talking and then come to find we practically have the same diet and hit the same places 15 minutes apart from each other every day. So. Uh, this episode we talk about that a lot and some other things I hope you guys enjoy step right up. My- Brian Redband is here everybody Hello What's up man So we uh, It's so weird Like I think LA is the only city Where you could live In the same city as someone For I've been here for five years I've been LA for seven Or I've been here for four And I've been in LA for seven And not only do we live in the same city And I had never bumped into you Until
2: like Three or four weeks ago We practically are next door neighbors Oh yeah And and on top of that, it's where one of my good friends, Tony Hinchcliffe, used to live. Yeah. Like, like literally the same... In this very apartment. Yes. That would be extra weird. That would be weird. Because there's (laughs) another
1: comedian who used to live in this apartment right before me. And how creepy would it be if, like, Tony lived in it before him? Oh, yeah.
2: This place is just, like, a haunted vestige of... It's, like, it's owned by the Illuminati and you're all, like, (laughs) purposely supposed to live here. Yeah,
1: comedy (laughs) flop house, everybody. (laughs) uh that's once where tony hinchcliffe murdered a girl <laughs> that's so crazy though and we and i i bumped into you at ike's and i was just like mm. oh shit and i told you this it might have been creepy at the time but i was like it's so weird because i follow you on instagram and i'd be like oh shit i was just at olive garden and right. now red bands at, a, at the same olive garden yeah like sitting a booth over from where we were yeah. so there's been we've almost sort of like danced around uh there's like a day where i was at lemonade and then i log into instagram and you're like this lemonade's great And i was just like what the fuck
2: yeah it is weird it's megan fox used to live over here too. oh really and uh i remember on tmz or something they had like a thing where it says megan fox at her favorite thai restaurant in burbank and then and I was like, what the fuck? What is this Thai place? Yeah. I need a re- You're like, I need to live there until oh, I, I meet Megan oh, Fox. and that's what I did. I Because he didn't say the name of the Thai that's place. Hilarious. So I zoomed in on a photo to look at a menu and I fat figured out what it was based, like I had to zoom in real oh, close. Oh, I, I have mad respect for your stock <laughs> game, sir. Yeah, and then I went to that 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 same Thai place maybe three times a week, every week, for months. And I even no, told Megan the Fox. owner, I'm like, oh, you know, I saw Megan Fox. He goes, oh yeah, she comes here all the time. I'm like, God not when i'm here <laughs> yeah i know and you're like but, i can't even meet her
1: when i'm trying to yeah you're like i hear the divorce is coming <laughs> i'm gonna be that guy at the Thai place oh i know serendipitously yeah. now it's so weird how that works like there there's a lot of famous people that live right over in toluca lake mm-hmm. and i remember one night i was ubering and i go over there and uh i get this request it's like 11 and i was close to home because what we're like a mile from toluca lake right so i was like ah oh, do i really want to take this ride and i pull up it's like a house party and this woman gets in and there's two drunk people carrying her to my car and I'm like, this is going to be a fucking problem. But she's like lively, funny drunk and the girl, I can't see them because my car is kind of low. So like like you had to do today, you had to like lean in to make sure it was me. I just saw wastes. Mm-hmm. So the one woman, they put the the woman in the car and the chick comes around to my driver's side and leans over and it's like, this is my friend, take good care of her. And I was like, you're Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> I was just like, get the fuck out of here. She's like, ooh, you're handsome. And I was like, "You're." Fucking handsome. (laughs) Um, Just that tooth, though.
2: (laughs) But that tooth, though. (laughs) That tooth, though. I can't. I
1: don't know if I could. That will make me second guess it. And I was also just like, you look way better in person than on television. Wow. She looks younger and prettier and way smaller in person than she does on
2: TV. Like... More so than she does ruining Spider-Man franchise with Superman, or <laughs> Spider-Man 3 and that dancing scene. Oh, God. You say what you really think, <laughs> Red I hate that scene so uh, much.
1: There, yeah, there is a lot of movies where she just sort of like... But I saw her in Fargo, and maybe they did want to make her look more homely. But I was just like, man, the years have not been kind to her. And yeah. then I saw her. It was like mid-last season of Fargo. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, you need to yell at makeup people.
2: Oh, yeah. Because they're adding 10 years to you that doesn't exist. It's weird. I, it's weird when you see people that, you, you know, you see them in real life. Like, I, 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 I always go to this place down the street called Patty's for breakfast. Oh, yeah. yeah. I
1: went there for the first time. Last two weeks ago.
2: Oh, really? Yeah, I had never been oh, there. Oh, I love that place. I
1: always go to Coral Cafe on Burbank. Uh huh. This yeah. is like a. This is gonna be like a, an old man podcast where oh. we're like, I get my breakfast at Patty's.
2: But uh, Miley Cyrus used to, and like all those girls, like Selena Gomez, and all that. I guess they all live in Toluca Lake. Oh, but they is, used yeah. they're, they're always there. And I had always seen like Miley. I'm like, oh Miley's not that pretty. But then you see her in person, you're like, Holy shit, she's gorgeous in yeah. person. And it, it, It's funny how it flip-flops, you know, sometimes you're like...
1: Dude, we go to these, um, we go to, like, occasionally, Ned is really tied into, like, doing seat filler things, so occasionally we'll go to events, like, award shows and stuff as seat fillers. And one time she's like, come do this Divas Live thing, VH1 Divas Live. And I was like, okay. Uh, So we go, because I I think that was the first one I had ever gone to. I had never gone to one of these big events, Mm -hmm. and I was like, that looks, like, fun. And um, so we go, and Miley, it was right after she cut her hair... And she did this cover of White Wedding, Billy Idol's White Wedding. And she had the short hair. And it was before she went full on, like, crazy MIA, yeah. fucking nut job, like, shoving her snatching people's faces. But, um, oh, my God. I was just like, this chick is gorgeous. Yeah. Like, you see her up close and you were just like.
0: What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day,
2: we rise. Challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol... Protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a
1: calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and community safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Jesus Christ, like she's a woman. Like I think when you watched her in the Hannah Montana years, because I had nieces that grew up with Hannah Montana. So I was just like, oh, she's like young, like my nieces. I can't right. I can't be into that. Right. And then uh and then I saw her, she was like 20 at the time and like six feet tall in heels. She looked like Brigitte Nielsen in her prime, like Beverly Hills Cop 2 Bridget Nielsen. Ooh. Where you're just like, oh my God. And that's what Miley looked like at that event. I was just like, that's the hottest she's ever been. And she killed that song. Yeah. She's like super talented uh, and and it's so funny, like, I see all the shit she gets, and I'm just like, she's
2: probably a pretty normal, cool person. Yeah, she seems pretty pretty down to earth. Yeah. You like, know, she's definitely doing something just to get noticed, you know, more so than, you know, her real life, probably. Yeah,
1: yeah. And then there's the ones that you, I don't know if you run into this, but there's people you meet, like, that seem really cool, and then you meet them, and you're just like, Oh, that guy's a piece of shit. Yeah,
2: there's a lot more. So those in L.A. Yeah, in L.A. There's a lot I'm like, of people where I'm oh, just this
1: guy's on a sitcom and he seems like Super Joe America guy next door, and then you meet him and he's like, "Hey man, I killed two hookers earlier today. You guys got any meth?" And you're just like, "Whoa!" Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's uh, that is not.
2: And then there's people that you you uh, guess perfect, like Dennis Rodman was at the comedy store the other day. Okay. And just wasted out of his mind. And you're like, yeah, that's exactly what I figured. You know, <laughs> you're like, me that's and Dennis, Dennis Rodman, Rodman was Yeah, know. he's exactly who I thought he yeah, was. Yeah. yeah, that's gotta be fun.
1: I'm trying to think if I had any uh any celebrities that I met that were that were like in a bad way not like I've been lucky where most of the ones I have met have been I meet more people that aren't really still celebrities and then they end up being super cool. Mm-hmm. Because they kind of went up and then came down and then now they're... they're humble now. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they've been humbled. Yeah, I think it's tough to like want to hang out with people on their way up. Like we were talking about this while we were driving around. There's like people that have become super famous that you and I know over the last couple years and it's just like, oh yeah, one day I just wasn't Facebook friends with them anymore. Yeah, yeah. That's a weird... That's a weird notification to get and it's not even like you know. You're just like, oh, I wonder what this person's up to. Yeah. Or you find out they're in town this is how I find out. I find out they're in town and I go, oh, I'm friends with that person on Facebook. Let me see what they're up to. And then I'm like, oh, I'm oh. not friends with them.
2: <laughs> yeah. And
1: then was then you go through this thing of like, was it something I did or did they... It's also weird when you're not close enough with that person to where they would even have a reason to do that. Like, I can understand if you got into a heated debate and you're like, I like Hillary, I like Trump. And they're just like, never again will we speak, which is stupid by itself. But... um. But then, then for somebody who you never spoke to, to just be like, fuck him.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm taking him out. Just like, oh, I didn't make the cut. I don't get to get promoted to famous, uh, famous Amos. Right. I only get to know Amos' cookies, not famous Amos. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, we, when we met, we met at this place called Ike's. Mm, so did, good to What did you think of Ike's?
2: I liked Ike's. You know, like, I, the reason I went to it is because my girlfriend went to school in San Francisco and I guess Ike's I out assumed
1: there. nothing less. <laughs> <laughs> and
2: I guess out there, like the wait is like ridiculous. Like it takes like an hour for you to get your sandwich, to get sandwich or even sit down or two hours. And and she's like, I've never even seen a place, you know, that that for just sandwiches has been this bad. And so she's like, well, let's try it out. And we went in and it was like, just you and me. We're the only ones in the yeah. whole entire place. almost, yeah. And our girlfriends. Yes. And so, uh, yeah, I liked it. You know, the, the thing I don't like about Ike's. Is if you look at their menu, it, it, it has numbers next to it. Like number seven is like ham and cheese sandwich or whatever. But there's it skips numbers. And I didn't notice oh, that. Oh yeah. So there's like 30 sandwiches on the menu, but it goes the the, the the last sandwich goes up to like 190. And you're like, what happened to all the other sandwiches? So you can if you know the number of the sandwich, they'll still make it for you. Oh, so those are like expired. Concepts. Well, I guess different markets have different sandwiches. Oh yeah. Like if you look at the if you go to San Francisco and look at the like the Yelp page and look at the menu, like there's all these other sandwiches on there. So you can like choose. So I what I did when I went there, I I did that. I I was like, I'm gonna see what the full menu is, or I tried to find other items, and there was one on there and ordered it, and they're like they knew exactly what it was, and I just if you're going to have a menu with all these secret menu items, which is like such a big deal now, you have. You can't have that many secret items. You know? maybe like one or two. Yeah. Don't <laughs> but, have ninety percent of the yeah, menu 90, be off menu. Yeah, exactly. Cause and and it's such a pain because I like like you, I order a lot using like DoorDash and stuff like Uber Eats. Not and, anymore. Not anymore, but <laughs> but you can't you can't you can't order those, you know, on no. those apps. They only let you order what you can order. You, you know? and some of these I, I love the apps. I love when you go into like Postmates and
1: you want to order from like a a, a sandwich place. And it exists, but you go in and it's just like, just tell us what you want. Yeah. There's no menu items. Right. There's nothing listed. There's no prices. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like every time I do it that way, they just add like $13 to the bill. Oh, yeah.
2: Absolutely. I'm just like,
1: that's not, that's huh. excessive.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So overall, Ike's was pretty good. I, I've ordered them a couple times since then. I've got a couple other things. For the most part, it's pretty good. I don't understand the the two-hour wait San Francisco thing yet. Yeah, I don't think it's that. Like, a lot of these places I don't really get, you know, when there's, like, a crazy weight, and you're just like, well, that's just chicken and waffles, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there's
1: there's a place I went to growing up in Philly called Primo's, and those are amazing hoagies. And I do think if there was something like that out here, I could understand the weight. Because they use, like, they use semolina bread, which is, like, the hard roll. It's, like, way higher quality than most sandwich places. They use, like, premium meats. They use, like, fresh vegetables and like like even their roasted red peppers are like they do them in-house. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many elements to it where it's really like an artisan, as douchey as that sounds, is really an artisan place. And um, and that would make sense to me. But this place is like, there's not much to it. The only sort of artisanal thing that they do there is their bread, that Dutch crunch or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I like that. that That's pretty amazing. good. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty good. But like uh, sandwich places now... It's same with, like, pizza places. I, I don't know what it was like being in Ohio growing up, but in Philly, you could order... I remember we used to order from this place called Lou's in, in Delaware County, just outside of Philly where I grew up. You could get, like, a 20-inch pizza of cheese for four bucks. Yeah. And, like, so for parties, we'd get, like, 10 of these things and spend $40. Mm-hmm. And now it's, like, that same size pizza here is, like, $28.
2: Yeah, I mean, unless you're going to Little's... Caesars, which, which is the I crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I hate, you know what I do is I buy a little Caesars and I use that as the crust. Um, like, I use that it, as it, trash bags it, for my <laughs> real food. No, I use that as a crust and then I put my toppings on top of it. Oh, that's and then, smart. And then recook it. I got a toaster oven. I know this sounds stupid, but I recently researched the fuck out of toaster ovens and I finally got a toaster oven. Never had a toaster oven before for some reason. And Yeah, I'm, that's a mistake, by the way. Oh, now it's, that you have one, oh,
1: it's, you're like, what? How did I live
2: before this? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. now sandwiches and anything. It's like, it's so easy to make and it's so much better. Like, if you get a pizza and it sucks, put it in the toaster oven for five minutes. And now it's a way better pizza. So <laughs> I'm going to take you in the kitchen when we're
1: done recording this and I will show you what I bought last year. Oh, what is that? What, I got a Samsung Smart Oven, ah. which is like a $450 microwave uh-huh. countertop, but it's a deep fryer toaster oven wow.
2: microwave all in one Yeah I had I had a Samsung it didn't have the uh, deep fryer in it Well but- they say it's a deep fryer I think those people are just putting oil in the tin and
1: like R- s- like sizzle frying stuff right. like I, if I wanted to fry something I would just put oil in a pot right. and do it old school Absolutely but- Yeah so
2: I had I had one I spent a lot of money on but then the uh The heating element that that the toaster oven uses, I guess, burnt out. So then it was just an expensive microwave. Yeah.
1: Same thing happened to me, and I flipped out on them on Twitter and
2: Oh, really? Yeah.
1: And then they sent a dude and repaired the whole thing. Wow. Yes. So I I was I I was a week outside warranty. Wow. And I put a pizza in there, and
2: it overheated. I bet you it's the same one. I wonder. Yeah. But but yeah, same thing happened. So then I had this really obnoxiously oversized Microwave. microwave that I got rid of. It now I have this one. Where you just push a button and it just detects when it's done, like you don't even have to put a time. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so I just put it in, click that button. It knows when it's ready. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's like I don't, I don't know, man. It's so funny. We're like the same when it comes to food <laughs> stuff. We're like the same dude. I when I was talking with the people that uh, film my show and stuff, they're like, like, what's the best case scenario? I was like, dude, I just want to buy a home that has a like a ridiculous kitchen, mm, yeah, So where too. I can be like, oh, you guys want. Uh, Souffles, I have a thing that just does the souffles perfectly yeah. every time.
2: Yeah, I wonder I always wonder like living in LA if that's ever going to happen. Because I same way, same, you know, my kitchen's pretty small, but all the stuff in my kitchen's really nice. But I would love to have like just that with the big, big
1: flat double gas grill or yeah. gas range. And that, that
2: mid island where oh, yeah. it has all the stuff that's in That's what island. I want too. Yeah.
1: That's what I look at when I if I went through my Zillow and showed you all the houses, you'd they'd all have hundred thousand dollar kitchens in yeah. there. Because yeah. that's really all I want. I want a kitchen. Um, I want an outdoor pool because I'm not driving to the beach from the valley. Right. And I want. Uh, ain't nobody needs to see that either. <laughs> and and I uh, and I want an outdoor grill like a beast oh. mode where I could have like thirty people over yeah. and just steaks and kebabs and
2: because mm-hmm.
1: I I would eat if I had an outdoor grill here I would eat outdoor every night.
2: See, I'm like I have two grills. I have a smoker like oh, a nice big smoker. Yeah from Green Mountain Grills, and then I have a normal big nice grill. Nice little
1: plug for the good behavior. <laughs> they <laughs> gave it to the me one, for
2: free. Is that the one Burr was rambling about? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. This company just, like, gave me and Rogan free grills, and That's they nice. dropped it, like, these firemen came to our house and dropped it off, we're like, why firemen? I'm like, it's really nice. It has pellets in it. It's oh, a wow. And stuff, but, uh, it's nice. It's, uh, but yeah, I, I have that part. I definitely want a second bathroom, which sounds ridiculous as a grown adult not having two bathrooms. I'll
1: trade you my second bathroom for the smoker. Okay. <laughs> We're you're, doing you're real d- I would trade. love
2: to do that. Because like, <laughs> when you have a girlfriend and you have one bathroom, it's the worst. It's the worst. Let me tell you something. If you go in that bathroom, it looks livable. Mm-hmm.
1: If I let you go into our bedroom bathroom, you'd be like,
2: this is fucking disgusting. Because <laughs> a woman has been here for uh, four years. Uh, yeah. But it sucks because sometimes you come home and I you both have to go to the bathroom at the same time. So yeah. I've even double stacked it where it had to go between her legs. Oh, see, I I have, <laughs> I, I have asked for that
1: several times and I've never gotten it. Um, Use the sink. <laughs> yeah, or the shower. Oh, the shower. I get that all the time yeah. too. I should have done that. Yeah. I
2: thought
1: about the shower. But um, but yeah, the the single bath. I had that in Long Beach, and that was a big reason why I wanted to move because I I had a cool little bungalow house, had a hot tub outside. It was fun. It was like a great bachelor pad, two bedroom one bathroom Ugh. and a small bathroom at that yeah. so it was like super impossible to to um to have people over mm-hmm. cuz yeah and I, all the time like all my you look ridiculous <laughs> um have fun with your speeding tickets you guys can't see homes? but yeah homes <laughs> it's so funny i i shouldn't have told brian that uh you were dressing up because he would have just been here and assumed that my girlfriend is a real chola. So you're like, oh my god, he's got this that you guys know that Josh Denny? He's crazy. He's got a Mexican gangbanger girlfriend.
2: She's hardcore. That's it. and you're dressed up like that for Chipotle. For a, Chipotle. For a free Chipotle. What three dollar. It's not even free. <laughs>
1: So she's going to go, this is this is how much of a food nut she is. That's great. She put on a costume, and now she's going to go get the free Halloween shit at all the restaurants oh, around.
2: Oh, that's smart. Burbank.
1: IHOP too. hop too. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to go get their red velvet pancakes. I don't know. I don't know what else.
2: Well, I like how she, you, you chose uh, like a... That's her
1: Monday. That's how she's going to spend her Monday. We're doing a podcast. She is going to go manipulate the restaurants of Burbank. <laughs> They're like, that's not a costume. You're like, uh, I'm Persian. This is absolutely a costume. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm saying because that's not how you would normally dress. Uh, if they looked at you and assumed you were Latino, they'd just be like, this is your well, normal. They do, like, yeah. Not, like when I did, people were like, a like, Yeah. You know but you, but <laughs> you, you went to a party dress like this last year, and then you got pulled over and got a speeding ticket. That's so you know. I, don't have any other, like, I get it. It's no, I'm not. I'm just saying it's hilarious that. We don't have defining white yeah. we'll be a white person. No, but I don't even think that's a costume. You can't just be a white person. for. You have to be a specific white person.
2: Go as white face.
1: You could be white privilege? What is that? I don't even know what that is.
2: White privilege? That's like... Uh,
1: it's, that is the privilege.
2: Yeah. I don't know what it yeah. is. Therefore, that, that
1: is the white privilege. Exactly. I don't know. I just... I never... I don't ever rem- I don't have those stories. I don't know about you, but like, I don't remember going to a place and then being like, "Oh, you're white. Come on in. You guys, not so
2: fast." Yeah, neither do I. It's I mean, just I, like, I, I think that might have happened in parts of the you know the road, but uh, not not in Columbus, Ohio. We yeah. you know we were pretty pretty average. We had you know.
1: Well, Philly, where I grew up, was mostly like all black. Really? Yeah, like, uh, not in the burb that I lived in. We were miles away from the danger. <laughs> but um, but no, I my mom, like, when I was a kid, my mom, when she left my dad, her first, like, long-term boyfriend was black. And I remember going out, I remember getting more shit from black people working places than from white people. So that, it's, like, weird having that different perspective of, like, black people were more mad that he, he was, like, a jacked good... He looked like Idris Elba. He was, like a sexy good-looking young but he was like 10 years younger than her and um and then like women would just be like oh fuck this white bitch taking this good this good man <laughs> and uh and then they would just be shitty and rude to us everywhere wow so like I saw more of that in Delaware and Pennsylvania than I saw the other way around so it's kind of like um I just always associated it to whatever the larger group of people is anywhere is going to be that way towards smaller group of people. I never really associated it to being white. And I was never really in a place where there was so many white people. there. Well, I was when I moved to Minnesota, but then it was almost like so many white people. They're just like, "Oh, how about that? A colored man!" Like wow. it was like
2: finding a <laughs> unicorn. Yeah, we didn't. We we had a good mix. We didn't have any Mexicans growing up though. And I remember when I saw my first like Mex- say that like you're no, deprived. They did. We didn't have reindeer or Mexicans. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't. They, they never. They never came up to Ohio. Too far north and yeah. too cold. And then I remember when I was in college. I, I remember seeing my first one, and I, I remember going, <laughs> and, and I remember going, Mom, there's like this, this, this group of this family that moved across the street, and I, I think they're Indian. I, I don't know, <laughs> and, and and then uh, she told me, oh no, those are Mexicans, and, and my my dad goes, yeah, they have a lot of them in, in California. Oh yeah, and then sure enough, uh, I dated one in high school, and I didn't I even—I didn't even know she was Mexican. Though. Yeah. So it's like my dad goes, "You dated uh, the girl in high school? You dated was Mexican?" I'm like, "Oh," because they seem like like her. Their dad was Mexican, but the mom, mom was, was white. Oh, okay. So I never knew that. they... You just thought he was like tan. Yeah, I thought he was like yeah. Italian or something.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of that where I went to school in in, in PA because. There, it was a big Italian neighborhood, and I remember the first, like, sixth grade, there was this girl, Christina, I don't remember her last name, um, and then she had a friend, Danielle, or whatever. Like, Christina was redheaded and white like me, and then her friend, Daniela, was, like, dark eyebrows. She looked like Penelope Cruz, and I was like, this chick's hot. What kind of Italian is she? And she's mm-hmm. like, I'm Puerto Rican, and I was just like, oh, yeah. Ay, ay, I was like, I don't know what that is, but I like it. It's Trouble. She was trouble too. I joined it. This was the first time I sacrificed manhood for the sake of getting a girl to like me. I joined a line dancing class. Oh, God. I was sixth grade. I was 12. But I was like, look at all the hot chicks going in here. Let's go dance.
2: Oh, yeah. Line dancing was huge in Columbus. Like, yeah. I, I mean, as 21 year old, 22 year old, we'd go to this line dancing place, not because we wanted to line dance. It That's was where just the chicks packed. Were at. Yeah, it was packed with yeah. chicks.
1: <laughs> Electri- I learned the electric slide. Oh. I learned. Uh, yikes i can't remember and that there was that song i can't remember if it was cnc music factory or who it was but it was that song I was like another not another dream at all you know that song oh yeah That's- yeah that song is forever etched in my mind because we had to do a dance to that <laughs> oh, song God. in in sixth grade when i was 12 and i just remember being like i don't know what pussy is yet but it better be worth all this
2: <laughs> they made us line dance in elementary school they, we had cantinas, I guess they were called, like, once a month. Okay. And so, like, in gym class, we would like have Star to... Star Wars watch. cantina? Yeah, like, I yeah. I think that's what it was called. But, yeah, once, once a month, like, in gym class, we'd have to, like, line dance. And then we'd have, like, this big line dancing party at school. Uh, Ohio.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: it's funny. I had way more... There were way more of those, like, weird... uh I think kind of traditional things when I moved to Minnesota, because I moved in the middle of high school and there was, they had like way more sort of traditional hometown uh, clubs and things like that that people did versus Philly, where it was just sort of like Mm -hmm. anything like that that people did was not affiliated with the school. So, um, but yeah, that was weird. And it was like taught by some teacher. But I remember like there were like a hundred kids doing this dance class and it was like all girls and me and my two buddies i had this one black friend shahir he was like i don't dance and i was like motherfucker you're dancing come with me you'll see why and he was like oh shit they got ninth grade girls in this piece and i was like yeah (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it was just like that was my first memory of like selling a piece of myself (laughs) for the greater good but uh, we'll take a quick break, and we'll come back and talk about where we ate today, which was Guisados. Ooh. So Guisados, man. Uh, first of all, I had it before, mm-hmm. but you had never had
2: it. Yeah, I've heard of it. It, it. it was another one of those places that my girlfriend heard before me, and uh, it's really popular location downtown. I think you same went to the same one downtown yeah, before. Yeah. and It's uh, like on 6th. It's yeah. like
1: right across from all the night, the late night nightclubs. Yeah, all the uh, where all the young Asian hot chicks from USC go to party. Mm.
2: <laughs> but yeah, it was You just at a moment. It was, it was, <laughs> it was good though. I, we got the sampler, and you had a little bit of everyone. Now one of them I wouldn't eat because it was it, it, lo, it looked like raw chicken, like the same texture gelatinous and, yeah. translucent yeah, yeah. like yeah. you ate it and you said it was horrible yeah <laughs> you made the right decision by not sampling
1: that one and if i die tonight it's because i was too brave yeah that, my own good yeah
2: that just did not look right but all the other ones were amazing now they make their like their tortillas every day they, they marinate their meats every you know day like so it's supposed to be like a really fresh place and when it comes to tacos i love tacos It's done right. I like this place. This was great. Yeah, and it's really simple, too. mm -hmm. They don't
1: don't overdo it. It's not fluffy. I do think... Put a fucking soda machine in, man. I hate when places
2: don't have soda machines.
1: We only have um, this weird... We only have horchata and uh, Armando Palmera, Yeah,
2: which is... Like their version of Arnold Palmer, which was great. It is great. It tastes like fruit punch, But Yes, but I also (laughs) feel like I
1: got diabetes drinking
2: the first two sips of this. Absolutely. I'm just like... But I, you have to have a soda or a pop machine, you know, like uh, you have. I
1: to. don't I can't shit on you saying pop because I lived in the Midwest for <laughs> for 11 years. And I st- you still I was, say it
2: uh, occasionally. I say occasionally. pop and then but sometimes it's so obnoxious, you know, to people to people that yeah. they get so freaked out about it. You, it
1: you always, yeah, it is like, you know, uh, when I first moved here from Minnesota, I said it a ton the first year. And then I got the piss taken out of me so hard by people. I was just like soda. Right, it's uh, I just caved. I, I
2: think it's weird when people say Coke, even though they don't mean Coke. Oh yeah, yeah, that's like a Southern get, thing. I'm isn't gonna get it? a Coke. Yeah, and, and that means anything. What kind that of Coke to- do you want? <laughs> uh, diet. Uh, oh, you don't uh, want Sprite. Sprite? <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: Sprite is not a Coke. Uh, it is a Coke product, I think. But or is it Pepsi? No, it's Coke.
2: Sprite is Coke, yes.
1: Yeah, Slice was Pepsi. Yeah, do they even make Slice anymore? I've seen it in some
2: very white trash parts of the country. Is 7-Up its own thing, or did they get bought out
1: by... 7-Up is its own thing. Okay. Uh, I I think they're Coke, too, though. They were. And then I... No, I think they are there. Oh, you know who I think owns Coke? Is... uh, (laughs) We are such old men. You know who bought the Coke? <laughs> you know who owns Coke? 7-Up is, I think they got bought by Hanson Natural. By Mon- the same company that owns Monster Energy Drink. Uh I don't know. I think 7-Up is its own like company separate from all of them. I was wondering. But it was a Coke product for a long time.
2: It was a Coke product. And then they released Sprite and said, fuck you, yeah. 7-Up.
1: Yeah, and I think they just went off and did their own thing. Although I prefer 7-Up.
2: I like Seven Up, Diet Seven Up, and you know what? Uh, Mellow Yellow, I used to prefer as a kid over the Mountain Dew. When I see it, we
1: go to because for the show we go to these places that Mm -hmm. like most they're just off the grid a little bit, yeah. And and I'll see it on there, like Mellow Yellow. Like I remember this.
2: Yeah, well, you you know it's interesting also like different different places have different sodas. All the like, where was it? Texas? Yeah, I think it was Texas. I went to this barbecue place and they had. I forget what it's called, but it's that Mexican apple soda, where it just—it's like apple juice, but it's a soda pop. It's not—it's not Jarritos, is it? Yes. Oh, it I, Jarritos. Yeah, but but then yeah. they, they have pineapple taps. soda. They have the pineapple oh, one. Oh, the they, pineapple is the best. Yes.
1: That Jarritos pineapple—you can get that on the bottom shelf at the Mexican section of the grocery yes, store. Yeah, but they They're have like out in L.A. And I got
2: addicted to that apple—the apple soda pops—and there's like a whole bunch of them. The uh,
1: pineapple one is crazy. There's yeah. a place I'll tell you if we. If we this is going to be horrific because. There's all these places you haven't been. I'm like, you got to go here. Right. The best Mexican food I've ever had. You like Mexican food? Mm-hmm. The best I've ever had in the entire country is at this place in Huntington Beach. It's like a little hole in the wall about three blocks off the beach called Fiesta Grill. It's huh. next to a liquor store and a laundromat. There's like four tables in there. It's mostly a to-go place. But I go there and they get, oh my God, it's, it's the best Mexican food I've ever wow. had in my life. It's like a thirty-minute drive from here in the middle of the day. So one day, if you're around, you want yeah. to go. Well, I'll take us down. But, um, dude, they're they're fucking. I don't know what their cheese is made out of, but it's like crack. It's like that white che- that white cheese that is so fresh. It like it's like shiny. It almost when it's shredded, it still looks melted, wow. and it's like milk in your mouth. Me- like wow. it's just like oh, it's unbelievable. And um, they have all the jaritos there as well.
2: It was really weird moving to the west coast and the difference between Mexican and Tex-Mex which is Ohio's Tex-Mex have, yeah like cause I, everything in Ohio cheese queso like it was it took me a while to find a restaurant out here that even had queso yeah and if you don't even know what queso is it's just melted cheese sometimes it has like hamburger in it and or, stuff the, like or that. they'll or put like peppers and onions meat and and stuff. Yeah. yeah and that used to just dip tortillas every in every place has yeah.
1: that sort of like east of Vegas yeah. every Mexican place has queso yeah you can't get it out here. Yeah,
2: it's impossible. No, I found one place that has somewhat of a queso. It's not Don, even re- Don Cuco? Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. not really. That's like it's not great. It's like like a big block of melted cheese. Yeah, something. and it coagulates pretty quickly. Yeah, that's it's kind gross. of the
1: test of how fast does it coagulate. Yeah, there's a good place over here, Mexicali. They do uh, some weird. It's in Studio City. They do like some weird. Uh, this is almost like a greatest hits because I'm talking with you about every place I've taken people on the podcast. Right. But um, they do like a blue crab enchilada. It's out of this world. That's like my favorite thing to eat there. But yeah, there's so many. It's interesting. I was talking about this on the show when we were filming. I was like, LA is not, people say LA is such a big food city, but it's really not. In the mm-hmm. sense of like, there's so many fusion places that it's almost like people are trying to do too much. And there's not just like, give me the best burger. Right. Where's the best burger in LA? There's not a There's not a definite number one, this is the best burger place. No. Nah. It's all just like like people love umami. I hate umami.
2: I hate umami. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And there's there's too many places that like, are like let's just oh make- you want this? It's yeah. like
1: a it's like the it's like the most high end White Castle.
2: Yeah, I, I and do, I, do I would not take like
1: White Castle. You knock that umami burger down and give me a White Castle, mm-hmm. and I will. Blow whoever I need to. Yeah,
2: and most of them are just trying to copy in and out. You know, a lot of them are just in and out clones. Like, like oh, yeah. We know In and Out's popular, so we're just gonna make an In N Out clone. I guess Five Guys is pretty good. Five uh, Guys is great. Have yeah, you had it? Yeah. Yeah, it's really That's good. That's pretty good. That's the
1: best of the chain of the chain burger ones. But places.
2: Burger, I'm more like which has the best margarita, which has which is El Coyote or El Capadre has the best margarita. El yeah, I hear those places are great. El Coyote has this secret ingredient in their uh margarita, they won't tell you what it is. And I swear, after one, you feel like you're on Molly. I could or probably,
1: I could probably figure out what it is. Yeah, you should try to figure. It's it- weird because uh, it's it's
2: weird because
1: I I never was that way before, but now because I'm doing this this show and I'm like eating and tasting things right. and having to decipher what's in it. Yeah. Uh, I've gotten better at that. So like, I actually have a palate where I'm like, oh, that's cinnamon.
2: Right. And I was like, why would you put cinnamon in? It's meat? it's something that makes you drunk fast, or it makes you feel like kind of like. And full, like it felt like last time i felt like i was on molly like the beginning of a, like a oh Mali wow trip. that kind of ingredient like like it, like my girlfriend i took my girlfriend there recently her first time and she was halfway through done with her first margarita and she goes i'm drunk and i'm like that's not even possible that you're yeah drunk.
1: oh so you think they put something in it that's not tequila Yes, yeah, they're some, putting a stronger alcohol they're putting
2: something it. like maybe like a moonshine or what's that absence or like oh, they're absinthe? putting yeah they're, maybe they're putting something just weird in there but...
1: Or something higher proof. Yeah. Well, the
2: interesting... Here's
1: an interesting thing. For one of the things we shot when we were in Louisville, we had to go to a Kentucky uh, bourbon distillery. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just part of the trip. So I, I shot a, a stand-up there, and uh, a stand-up is... Are you familiar with... A stand-up in television, like reality TV hosting is like I'm in this place and I'm doing this and right. we're on our way to the. that's just that. Right. So um, it's confusing for people are like oh you're doing stand up yeah, so show too. Yeah, so I thought you were. you're doing a stand up show. Huh? Yeah, yeah, you're doing stand up <laughs> and food? No. Um so so we went to the distillery to get... Just, we were just getting coverage of different things so that you're in different environments that are Kentuckian or or Ohioan or or Pennsylvanian or whatever it is. And um so we went to this Evan Williams Distillery and uh we we're in there and the dude, it's like 9 in the morning, and they're this process. These guys will work on one batch of bourbon for 10 years in this distillery. Mm. So, like, he's in there literally testing proof, testing quality. It's like it's like Heisenberg's distillery. It's, like, totally labbed out. This lab cost a million dollars to build. And this guy's pouring 160 proof just grain alcohol, just white, clear, clear. And he's like, here... And I I went I put it to my nose and I was just like Jesus fucking Christ that's like pure rubbing alcohol. Wow. And he's like yeah and then we just we mix it with some se- with some spices and and then it becomes booze. Wow. And we're just like Jesus Christ. <laughs> like the alcohol that goes into that stuff. And he goes I was asking the dude I was like well what is the yield and he goes well the longer you he's like a barrel of bourbon um, is the same amount of bourbon. The difference is the longer it ages the less yield you have per keg. That's why it's more expensive. So he's like, you know, let's say a, a barrel is three hundred dollars, and I, I could be mis- i could be all wrong with this. So if people are listening, going, "That's not how bourbon works," I don't give a shit. But uh, but he was basically like, let's say a barrel is three hundred. Uh, a barrel of eight year will yield hundred and fifty bottles, but a barrel of thirty year will yield ten. So that's why the mm. ten year bottles. So they have to get the three hundred. That's why the and my numbers are way off. It's probably like 10000 for a barrel. right? And then like, yeah, if you, if you get 10, bar- uh, 10 bottles out of a 30-year, they're $1,000 a piece. That's what dictates the pricing for aged booze. I never understood that. But he goes, basically, whatever the process is, they make sure that the cost of yield per barrel is the same. The difference is the longer aged alcohol is, the less actually because it rests and the less is actually in that barrel. Mm-hmm. And then I got, to, I, got to take, I got to like label my own 23-year barrel. They go, this will be done in 23 years. Oh, wow. And it has my autograph on it and the show's information and <laughs> when we were there. And then I bunged it because uh, the bunghole is a real thing, mm-hmm. not just from Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> so I bunged okay. it, and then they let me keep my bung, uh, my, my thing. I, they took that out. I guess there's two of them. I don't know what it was. or It was just a souvenir one that they wrote stuff on, but I have that. It's cool. And then I just like went on Twitter and was like, suck at me, lacunas. I have I have a 23-year age. When she did her Jim Beam commercial, she's like, I'll be back for this one in eight years. I oh, like, yeah, that's really- I'll be dead when mine's ready. <laughs> 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 I have a hundred year bourbon. They won't With even have mama. TV shows. They, yeah, they won't even care who no one will care who I am when that bourbon's ready. They'll be like, Who's this guy? Um but yeah, it's it's a weird situation. And, to, and then a the guy's handing me this thing, a 151 or 160 proof. He's like, we got to get it down to 130 before we can blend in wow. the flavor. And I was just like, so what is it at now? And he's like, well, some of these are as high as 170. Jesus. And I was just like, who the, f-? I was like, if you, and he's just literally there like drinks it. And then he's doing that. Ev-. I go, dude, are you just shit faced all day? Yeah. He's like, I have a ridiculous tolerance by now.
2: I have a pretty big tolerance now. I mean, I drink 101 turkey every day. Oh, wow. And and nowadays, I used nice to, to meet you, Dad. Yeah, <laughs> I used to be able to, to drink and get drunk to where I threw up even. Yeah. That doesn't even happen anymore. No, like, you I, get like,
1: to a point when you're like your mid 30s or 40s. Yeah. I think you get to a point where it's just like you get buzzed, but like the amount of alcohol it would take.
2: Yeah, like it, it just evens out. Like the, the only thing that, I, like, I'll have one beer. And I'll start slurring, yeah, and I don't know why, like that's always how it's been, but other than that like you like I could be drinking all night and feel exactly the same from like when I first started drinking it's yeah weird
1: yeah, and see and i can hang I can hang with people to drink like that i i I don't drink, but the only people that annoy me are like twenty year olds Ugh. who are like two fucking drinks, Ugh. and then they need to be carried out of a place, like i can't I hate that i can't go and, out with people like that, yeah. but just in general like. And even if happen- I did drink, I would never want to hang out with people like right.
2: that. Right, And I think that used to happen to me where, like, I would drink and I would become obnoxious and, obnoxious and then I would throw up and feel better. But now I don't even get to that other level of drinking anymore. It's yeah. weird. It just kind of went away.
1: Well, I think I got spoiled because my dad's, like, way old. I'm, I'm 33 and my dad is 76. Yeah, my dad. So, like, he was drinking... Like that's in my whole life. Mm-hmm. But I was always around people that could handle their shit. Yeah. So like when I started hanging around people my own age and they were getting drunk and they were just fucking losing their minds, I was just like, well, this isn't fun. I don't want to be around that. Yeah. So I, it was just one of those things. And I have so much of a history of addiction and um, alcoholism and stuff in my family that it was just a habit I never got into. It was just something I never got into. Like people were like, what's the significance of you not drink? I just like I just never picked it up. Yeah, I used like, to just like some people never pick up a controller for a right. video game in their whole life. I just never picked up drinking.
2: I used to drink beer because uh, I'm from Ohio, Ohio State Buckeyes. So you oh, yeah, kind of yeah, had to drink. Yeah, there was nothing else to do in. Columbus. You were tailgating at
1: three, probably right? Exactly. <laughs> well, I
2: definitely put beer in my chili my whole life. Yeah, but uh, but you know, other than beer, I never drank anything other than beer, and it wasn't really that. It was not like weekends only. Then we moved to L.A., same thing, I've never really drank. Then once I started hanging out at the comedy store so much, Jesus Christ. then I was like, I need to stop drinking beer, I'm getting too fat. Then I started drinking, like, Jack Daniels, and now I just drink liquor. Like, I don't even, I hate beer now. Yeah. I, and, but well,
1: you're becoming a gentleman. Yeah, it's,
2: yeah. and it's so funny, because after a while, you just get tired of the same, like, you know, I don't want Jack Daniels anymore, I want turkey, I don't want turkey anymore, I'm going to try tequila. And you go through these phases just because you're bored, yeah. you know, with alcohol. Like, yeah. I went through a tequila phase when i dated this mexican for a year and i just only drank tequila for a year and then once we broke up it was like no more tequila (laughs) it's it's
1: even to the point where i've had friends like oh we're all out having beers have a beer and uh i was over here doing patrick's podcast back in the day it was like holiday time and they were drinking like newcastles and i was like i'll have one just bring me a beer i got like halfway through this thing and uh, my butthole started pink salt like i started dry heaving out of my ass because oh, no. I was like, I guess I'm allergic. Oh wow! So like I was like the sickest I had ever been from really? drinking half a dark beer. Now dark beer is the only thing that does that. If I drink like a lager, I don't know what,
2: what's in there that makes it. I
1: think it's just how how much wheat is in wow. it or barley or whatever is in. And I don't know what Newcastle's heavy on that makes it dark. I don't yeah. know anything about beer,
2: but right. um. That's weird,
1: but it, yeah, it's like, but it was oh, it was vicious. I was just like, why is my? Oh it was like my asshole was throwing, trying to throw, up, but there was nothing. It was, it was like I had diarrhea. It was just like yeah, it, my stomach was just like nope, yeah. not having it. And I was like, why can't I throw this up like a normal person? <laughs> but uh, and then yeah, and then there was another time, like a couple of years after that, I had another dark beer, and the same thing happened. And I was, I tried drinking a Guinness because one of my friends was like, dude, you're an Irishman you got to fucking drink Guinness. And I was like, give me a Guinness. He's like, it's not like beer. It's smoother. It's better. Mm -hmm. Same thing happened. And I was just like, well, if you guys ever want to see some real cool butthole Cirque du Soleil, (laughs) give me a dark beer.
2: Yeah,
1: Um, But yeah, it was just like, uh, and so it was sort of one of those things of like, well, I don't need, like, I'm not, I'm not a dude who like, I'm weird if I don't have a couple drinks around people. Like I'm pretty, I'm pretty out there. So like, uh, but more other people get more uncomfortable with it than I do. Cause you know, I guess if if I if I have friends that like they need a couple of drinks before they can wind down, if you don't, they're just like what the fuck. Yeah, you, it is it, it's better always than me?
2: it's no, it's always weird. Like I have a few sober friends and there's there's sober friends that I like who are just sober. And then there's like the ones that went through AA. Those are the ones I don't like, yeah. because then they're just judging you and t- like, oh, you are gonna actually have another one? Like you're like, All right, stop. oh god, who yeah. the fuck would say well, that? No,
1: no, it's just like, people it's- do that to me with food. I was like, I'm gonna have a. We <laughs> were at lunch and I was like, I think I'm gonna get a tamale. You're like, I'm fine. I'm like, well, now I feel like I can't. Oh get no, no <laughs> not. I'm just giving you shit. But that is how you feel though, yeah. where you're just like, where you're just like, uh, oh, I would. When people make those comments, where there's like. I would never have two two glasses with dinner, and they're just like, "Well, now oh, I yeah. feel
2: like I can't have one." There was a girl. I'm not gonna say who it is. She's a pretty famous celebrity, and I went on a few dates. Tell with me her. offline. Yeah, and I went on, <laughs> <laughs> and I went on a few dates with her, and she's an AA person, and but she's like, you know, I don't have a problem with you drinking. You but can, she totally did. Yeah, and she's like, you can drink in my house. You can smoke in my house. I don't care. And she's a huge house, and so I came over once, but I was. Wasted, wasted. Like, yeah. I got, it was like one of those times where you could smell your own breath, like a mile away. Yeah. You're like, I'm really jacked yeah, up. Yeah. And she got so mad at me and she's like, How dare you be, oh, you got to get this drunk to have, like, she just went on this whole speech and you're like, and it ended after that. You know, like, we were like, like, she was so, uh, she was appalled by how drunk I was. Oh, I'm wow. like, I'm like, wow, that happens once in yeah, a while. Yeah. I don't, I don't get, I don't get that way
1: judgy <laughs> with people. Like, uh, the only time, I would ever just be like, I'm not going to hang out with that person. Is if it's somebody I already don't enjoy. And I probably should have made that decision before I saw them drunk. Right. You know what I mean? It's just, it's weird how you wait till you're like, they need to give me a reason to not hang. But you're like, isn't just not enjoying their company reason enough? Right. 90% of the time when people go, I'm not hanging out with them because they got drunk or they got really high one night and did. And it's like, you probably just didn't like that person to begin with. Mm -hmm. And now you're using that as an excuse but like, yeah, I did. Um, are you familiar with the show they do at the Hollywood Hotel? It's um, performing under the influence.
2: No. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh, that's uh, great. Go,
1: yeah, you should do it sometime. <laughs> you go. Uh, it's like a lot of uh, the LA open mic dudes do it. Um, but they—they've had like Wendy Starling. The last one I did, I did with Wendy oh, Starling a couple of years ago. Yeah, she's phenomenal. Um, but you do a five-minute set sober, and then you have an hour to go do whatever you want, get drunk, get high, whatever. And then you come back and do a seven minute set completely out of your mind. Yeah,
2: that sounds perfect. And
1: I and I don't drink. So I was like, I got two forty ounces of Mike's hard lemonade. And I did my five minute set. And then I, I did my seven minute set. And I was pretty fucked up. But I didn't even realize it. I just got chattier. I got friendly like a little bit like not even friendlier, but like little too comfortable with people where i'm like grabbing dudes and oh, like no. i'm like close talking people <laughs> and i'm just like what's up man i was like almost like reacted as if i was stoned right and then um but i i was not mentally sharp to do my material i was like drawing blanks and like what did, how the fuck does that joke go yeah so some people some of my friends were like dude you might be a way better comic if you have a couple beers and i was like no we tested that theory Couple couple Christmases ago, and it does not work that way.
2: Yeah, I have to find... It's funny, because I had to find my perfect balance. Like, you know, like... Because I would drink too much sometimes, and then stutter too much. On stage? Yeah, or smoke too much weed. Yeah, I might have went... I
1: might have shot past it was the problem. Yeah. Also, I I have no ramification of, like... Or no, no, not ramification. I have, like, no calibration for this is the right dosage, because I don't drink. So I was just like, I don't feel drunk. And then I was like, I'll have the second one. And I was done.
2: My ideal right now is one drink in me, second drink in my hand.
1: That's pretty smart, probably.
2: Going on stage with the shot. So then I go on stage, I'm like, cheers, do a shot. Then I'm starting my second drink uh, on stage. So that's usually
1: good. So basically, you're probably at like peak buzz at the end of your set. Right. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. That would be
2: perfect. But... Sometimes, you know, you like say, like you get bounced to the bottom of the list or the whatever, line, and you yeah. just too, like, I I definitely have a different set when I'm drunk, and some, and you know, you listen to it, and it, sometimes it's hilarious because, yeah. like, drunk version, like, everyone knows you're wasted, so it's a lot fun for them. Uh, but other times, it's just sloppy, it's yeah. gross. You're like, oh, I can't believe I was on stage last night. Dude, the best example I can give
1: of that, and if he ever hears this and, and uh, hates me for it, sorry, but, um, When I started, I had a job where I was traveling between Minneapolis and Chicago. So I would hit mics in Minneapolis, then I would go to Chicago for a week, and I would hit the mics in Chicago. So when I started in Chicago, this was 2007, and and the open mics were like TJ Miller, Kyle Kinane, Kumail, uh, Mike Holmes, Mike Bridenstine, um, who else? Uh, There's another big-name comic from that. Uh, Oh, Pete Holmes would be there from time to time. So like all these dudes who have blown up over the last few years, Uh, Were all these huge monsters in the Chicago underground scene? Canane would always go on late, and I never saw that dude be funny ever. Like, and and his friends were all dying, but it was that context of like he's so drunk, we're getting shit that we normally don't see, or he seemed like just annoyed that he had to perform. So like I saw Kyle Kinane for like a for like six months. I think he moved to L.A. after I'd been going there for six months of like one or two open mics a week. And I was like, this guy's not even funny. And then his album came out, and it was like, holy shit, this doesn't even sound like the same comedian. And then I see him in L.A. now, and I'm like, oh, he got the dosage right. Yeah, it's <laughs> like it's a, it yeah. really is
2: about getting the dosage right. I remember when he first moved out here, and I was friends with Stanhope at the time, and he was so drunk, and he. Talked and he sounded like Doug Stanhope. Yeah. And I remember telling Doug, I was like, dude, there's this guy that. He's like doing he's your act. doing your act. Yeah. Or, or your essence, is what yeah. a lot yeah. of the comics Steals say. Steals my <laughs> essence. But yeah, and it, you can hear him in it. Kind D- of like, Dane, Dane said that about Callan. Yeah. That
1: was the first conversation I had with Callan in 2007. I opened for him at this place in Chicago called Riddles. And he said that Dane Cook, like, confronted him at one point and told him he stole his essence.
2: Dane said that to a few people, I think. Yeah. I, I, I think I heard it through Callum, but I think I also heard it through a couple of people. Yeah. Uh, Chris D'Elia, I think he said. See, you know who D'Elia reminds me of the most is Pauly. Yeah. I watched
1: Paulie go up in the main room one night and then watched Chris go up two after, and I go, holy shit, he's our generation's wow. Pauly Shore. Yeah. If you look at just their subject matter, their delivery, their style, I I feel like they're almost identical, but, like, generationally different. Right. So, like, Paul, I think Paulie is, like, 90s D'Elia, and D'Elia is just, like, 2010s Pauly. Yeah. But they're very similar in terms of, like, their stories and what they talk about.
2: D'Elia definitely has this... It's funny how some people have this, like... Stage presence that's very comfortable to watch. Like he, I think Chris has a good stage. Like Tom Segura, like, Segura is one of my favorites. Yeah, you could watch. I could watch Segura all day because he's just so lovable. I, on stage. I
1: watched. I've watched both of his specials. No lie, probably fifty times. Yeah, we'll sit here and we'll just like Ned and I will just say shit back to each other and then we just put it on. Yeah, because we're like, if we're gonna quote it, we might as well watch that's, it again.
2: Yeah, he's one of my favorites.
1: Just the 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 one one of my favorite things is in his in completely normal. Is that the first one where he's like. I was standing here, and he killed that motherfucker right there. (laughs) He just points with his foot, and you're just like, it's so funny. And it's just like the little things like from the most recent one where he's like, hold my pocket. Like I'll just say that shit, and nobody knows what I'm talking about. But to me, that is the mark of being a great comedian. Mm -hmm. Great comedians have stuff that people are quoting to each other days after seeing them or whatever. And I've always tried to write stuff like that. That people would come up to me. And I've got a couple jokes like that where people come up to me and they'll just be like, they'll say something from the bit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that's good. That means I've made something, at least a couple jokes that people go, you know, they remember those bits. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, the Segura is great. I love watching Tom. Chris Porter. Oh, yeah. I Chris love Porter. Yeah. He's so good. Uh Norton. I can watch Norton for two hours. Dave Attell. So my introduction is stand up, we're getting all over the place. This is great. <laughs> My intro to stand-up, I was one of those guys that my friends, when I played music, were I was like, dude, you, you're funny. You should be a comedian. You shouldn't be a musician, which I was always like, oh, fuck you guys. I want to play. I'm good. What are you saying? I'm not good? Um, and then I went, I, the biggest thing for me was like, I was like, I don't even know where to begin writing material, though. How do you How do you be funny on purpose? And then I went and saw a show. I was working for the company I was working for. We were at an event in Fort Lauderdale, and uh, we went to the Fort Lauderdale Improv, or West Palm Beach Improv. It was West Palm. And it was Al Jackson, Sean Rouse, and Dave Attell, second show Saturday. Wow. And I watched watched Rouse do almost an hour. I watched Al do about 30 up front or 20 up front. And I watched Dave do two hours. um, And almost an hour of it was just improvised crowd work. Wow. Like, there was this dude with the Miami Beach... Like the flashy nightclub shirt, and he was like super tan. And, uh, and tell he was heckling tell and tell just ripped into him. Uh, and he was just like, uh, it was like, it was like watching a master of jujitsu just roll for an hour of just like, fuck, they got out of that, they did that. Like, and watching tell work a room, just like there was not a single situation he wasn't prepared for. And this was in 2006. And I watched that and was like, I want to do stand-up comedy. I, I, and Rouse was brilliant. I was like, I never heard of this guy, but he's incredible, Sean Rouse. And then, uh, and then I, I, I met them both after the show. And I was like, if I want to do stand-up, uh, what, what, what advice would you have for me? Like, what should I know? And they told me two things. Uh, Sean said, don't steal anybody's material. Just do your own shit. And, um, and then Dave said, uh, it's, it's not glamorous. It's not fun. And if you're going to make any money at it, it'll it'll be 20 years before you make any money at it. So know that. And the funny, the crazy thing is that night I told you I bumped into Callan, Dave showed up and I brought that story up to a tell and he was just, there was like a moment where you could see on his face where he's like, holy shit, like 10 years ago I told this kid that that's the trick to, and now he's doing it. Like, And I was telling him where I was at and what I'm doing in my career and everything. And he was like, he he seemed a little bit almost I don't want to say emotional but just like man that's really cool because I'm sure there were comics before him that he was like those are people that inspired me but I was like Dave I would have never picked up a microphone if I had not watched you live um, just like decimate this crowd in West but a hundred people it was like a hundred people
2: yeah yeah it's because I, I get a lot of young comics talking to me because of Kill Tony and you know doing the Joe Rogan podcast. Now,
1: it, now, Kill Tony, the format of that, I'm sure anybody that listens to this knows your stuff way more than mine, but um, the format of that is like new comics come and do a, like a minute, right?
2: They all, it's like an open mic. That we put, have all the comics put their names into a bucket, and then we pull them out, and there's a panel of com, judges. Like judges or comics, you know, yeah. not really judges, because it's not a competition. So it's like me and Tony Hinchcliffe, and then usually two other guests, and then uh, they'll do a minute, which is hard to do already. You know, to just do a minute, just do a minute. Yeah. But
1: I got like three one liner jokes I could throw into a minute. And that's it. Exactly. And
2: that's pretty much what you should do. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people try to build up a premise in a minute and then, you know, try to fit in the, the end, uh, you know, whatever. They but, run the light yeah. on it. Yeah. So then we try to help them out or, you know, we try, we make fun of them or we try to, you know, roast them a little or it just depends on each person. But what's what's really cool is that, you know, we've seen so many people, you know, from the beginning rising up so fast some people still not going anywhere who's and the
1: who's the biggest like who do you think started to Kiltony and has gone on to be maybe the most successful well i'd
2: probably say the girls uh that we we also have two girls with what they're called regulars uh and we've switched them out a few kim's here one of them right kim kim yeah. used to be one and oh, sarah yeah. wineshank used to be one okay but both of those girls like i mean kim's opening up for rogan now here and there oh, wow. so you know she's done a real good job uh but you know they're all still pretty new people you know but I remember there was a, a comedian, like, I think his name's Taylor Rizzo. I think that's who it was. And he was like, uh, I met him in, uh, I think, Florida when I was on the road. And He's like, I'm going to move to California. I want to become a comedian, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, don't just move out to California and without no job. Like, you're going to be homeless. There's too many yeah. of these homeless comedians out here. Yeah, dude. Like, yeah. You, you need,
1: <laughs> if you even want to do this for six months, you yeah. need 100 grand in the bank. Yeah. If yeah. you're going to come out and not work.
2: Right. Yeah. So I, I was like, dude, like, Find a job first, save up first, don't move out here without a plan, and yeah. think of stand-up comedy second. But and then he did, and then like a year later, he's just like, "Hey, you told me to. Yeah, I finally found a job. I did this and that. Saved up, and and I was like, now he's, you know, he was opening up for Doug Benson the other day. I oh wow! Him. So I'm like, wow, this That's is awesome. Good. Yeah. So it's it's cool seeing that these, does have to feel yeah. kind of cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't really. There aren't really any situations like that where people are asking me for advice, but um i have started with people that have gone on to have really great careers like i I remember one of the very first shows i did on the road i did in des moines iowa at this rock venue called house of bricks and uh you know i was like 23 when i started doing comedy there was a kid little like a fucking teenager he might have been 17 or 18 at the time um and he might not have been that young but he definitely looked young he looked like 15. And my our, my buddy, Doug Stone, who booked the room, it was me and this other comic named Daryl Horner, who's still in Minneapolis. But we started, when we first started comedy, we started this group called the Verbally Vicious. And we were the Verbally Vicious tour. And we made a lot of money because of that name. Like, we just sold that name. We didn't have any credits or anything like that. Right. But we, And we just did, you know, edgier stuff. We did He did a lot of crowd work. And so we had a lot of fun with it. Doug booked us to do this House of Bricks thing in Iowa. He's like, hey, can my friend Brooks Wheelan come uh, oh, do great. do a little spot for you guys? <laughs> it's like ten, he was like ten minutes, and I was just like, yeah. And he was like the sweetest, nicest kid, and uh, he had like long hair. I could show you; I'll show you a picture. I can find it. I think it's still in my MySpace. But um, <laughs> but uh, man, I it's and then like I remember like I ran into him out here. I didn't even know he was out here, and we both ended up on the same show in Orange County somewhere one night. And I was just like, "Oh shit, Brooks! I didn't even know you were out here." And then three or four years later, he's on SNL. Yeah, and he's just and he's like, and he's this like scruff faced, handsome fucking dude. I was just like, Jesus Christ! He's like 6'5 <laughs> now. I was just like, what the Isn't fuck? That amazing? Yeah, I was yeah. like, it was literally like watching a kid
2: yeah.
1: grow up. And we might even be the same age. I just know he looked super goddamn young when I met him. Yeah, it's so weird how. Uh, so that scene that kind of stuff is cool, and I'm one of those people like I don't get hung up on what other people are doing or any of that in a negative way mm-hmm. like I think it's just super cool and there's plenty of there's plenty of stuff to go around man right there's probably more opportunities in comedy and and podcasting and and television and everything now than there ever was
2: yeah so yeah it is it is weird when you see like people my my biggest thing when I, that that took me a while to get over was seeing people. Get denied jobs because of their age and stuff like that. Did they were too old? Yeah, yeah. It was like, oh, you're not really like what we're looking. You're for. You're not hot and young. Yeah. and hip. But then I see like kids, you know, like 21, who I'm like, all right, this person's not funny at all. Yeah. And, but this person just got the job because they're 21, and you know that that kind of bugs me a little bit because it is kind of sad. Like, like as an example, there was a show that was booking the other day. And it's like they're only looking for, you know, blacks or Hispanics or, you know. Well, that's
1: the thing now. Matt, Matt <laughs> Broussard and I were joking. Uh, I, did a, I did a show um, out in like Thousand Oaks one night. And it was like all like middle aged to, you know, it was probably like 40 to 60 was the average age. So middle age to like early senior citizen, I guess. Is six, is that 60? Yeah. Just that's early so. senior yeah. years. <laughs> I don't even know the cutoffs anymore. But um but it was like our generation, a little bit older, and then baby boomers and stuff. So I didn't think I was gonna have a good set. Then I get there and Julia, the booker goes, um, oh god, what's her what's her name? She's uh she's really funny. I like I like she was on that sketch show with Christina Pazitsky, the Marlon Wayans thing. Oh. And she ended up going pretty far. She was like it was her and Christina and the black dude at the end, and right. the black dude won but the heavy set latino girl I, yeah. I forget her name um but she's she's funny anyway the conan booker was there to see her so i'm like great i'm going to eat shit in front of the conan booker dude i go up and have the best set i've had in years 15 minutes crush just crushed it like they all got it they were smart they got everything for the right reasons and they were also old enough to like i do a lot of stuff where i just kind of take the piss out of younger people and the and this extreme sort of liberal movement of, like, oh, my feelings. Um, and they were all on board with it. Like, I, I could not have had a better set. Mm-hmm. So I I let him have his moment. He's not there to see me. I wasn't going to go energy. He was, like, coaching her up for her Conan appearance. Right. I wasn't going to go just jump in. So I email him on Monday. He was like, yeah, man, you had a great set. He emailed me back a couple days later. You had a great set. But, like, straight white male comedians, dude, get in line. Like, Yeah. And it was I was like, I told Broussard that because I ran into Broussard. He's like, yeah, I just showcased for him not too long ago. And he said basically said the same thing to me about getting on Conan. And um, and no shit, Broussard got on Conan a year and a half after we had that conversation. And after he had a 30-minute Comedy Central Presents and uh, Roast Battle. So it's just like, god damn. This is a dude who's done, and I met him like three years ago when he did season one of Adam Devine's House Party. We went to the taping and I met Matthew there. And I was like, oh, this is cool. You look like a dick that I would never want to be friends with, and you're actually a cool dude. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it was like, it was crazy to hear that. And I, I, one of the first things I did as a comedian, I did a Def Jam audition. Oh, wow. And they thought, they I started in all black rooms. Wow. So they were like, oh, we're going to have the token white guy, and, and it'll be hilarious. He'll eat shit. They put me dead last, like 16 comedians. They all ran the light. And this was an audition for the last season of Def Jam with Bob Sumner and, like, and Russell Simmons and all that. And Bob was there watching, and I went up, and I have two jokes that will no doubt kill in a black room every time. Mm. And I did those two jokes. Like, you got five minutes. I went up and leveled it. And Bob Sumner just came over to me and was like, hey, man, you had the best set of the night, but, like, we're not putting a white dude, an unknown white dude on Def Jam in the last season. We're just not. He's like, there's only ever been one white dude in all of Def Jam's history. It was Rich Voss. And so he's like... He goes, you can come on the show and write for the other comics. W- we we'll- would love to have you do that. It's like the ghostwriting thing we were talking about yeah. at lunch. I was just like,
2: no thanks. No way.
1: You want me to go write for the guys I just destroyed? Yeah, exactly. In this contest that you tried to bury and me it, in? And it's
2: getting it's getting bigger and bigger now. Like, the shows aren't even looking for white comics anymore. Yeah. It's, it's it's kind of fucked up. And it, so it's, might- Well,
1: it's, it is, it's like the pendulum... When I worked for Hollywood Video in my prestigious years, we we talked about the pendulum. Like I was trying to become a, a promoted from within district manager. I started as like a sales associate and eventually became one of the youngest DMs in the country. But at the time, I was trying to climb that ladder. Everyone we were putting in at district managers were hires from the outside, and the company had gone through this this thing in the '80s where everyone that had its stores or were DMs, were promoted from the inside. And that was a problem too, because then you had everybody working at the same position, thinking the same way. So they had to bring in new people from the outside that would think differently, but then the pendulum shifted all the way to where now it was only external hires, and they weren't developing people. Mm. And so the industry in comedy is doing that now, where they're like, well, it was white people for so long, now we almost have to go swing the pendulum, no white people, and then in like three years' time, hopefully it just drops in the middle, and there's a good balance to where the best shows are getting made, regardless of who it is.
2: Yeah. Well, I should just burn my last name and start using my real last name for it. You know, like, yeah. like I'll go back to Reichel. I'm the, I'm just the German comic.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, man. Like how that how that pendulum is shifted and. Yeah. And I said this, I did like a huge blog, I think, when it came out, when when the first thing started, when that momentum started shifting, I was like, my concern is that in the pursuit of diversity, the quality comes down, which has happened, where it's like, oh, we need the new, we need the new Chappelle, so let's put him out before he's ready, or we need the new, we need the new Sarah Silverman, so like, let's just find that. And these people are getting opportunities before they're ready. And I took a lot of heat because there was uh, there was a comic on one of the message, like one of the Facebook groups, who came out and was like, yo, man, these last three specials by these new quote unquote hot comics have been shit. And uh, and I was just like, Yeah, I don't disagree. Like, as a fan of comedy, I'm rooting for you if you get a special to crush it. And the fact that you didn't and that you don't have any friends that were like, yo, man, it's not good enough. Like, I would never want. Like, if I was getting ready to shoot a special, we've only hung out this one time, you came up to me like, dude, it's not good enough, I would go, okay, what do I got to do? Yeah.
2: Because I want to make good shit that people remember. And it's getting worse and worse because of how easy it is to make a special nowadays, like on your own, like Netflix and shit. I have a couple friends that made specials, you know, some Netflix. But the problem I have with specials nowadays, everyone has a, a special. Yeah. Back in the day, it used to be called a special because it was special. Right. This was my life's work of material. It's like a I'm, greatest hit. Greatest hit. Yeah. This is my best hour I've been working on for 15 years, 10 years. Yeah. You know? This is called a special because it is special. Nowadays, it's like they're releasing specials every year they're like all right i have to drop that material and I have to do a new special well, even the
1: heavy hitters have some misses like oh, yeah. louis
2: had one in there that was like i think mm, recently and meh. he said he's not going to do it every year anymore yeah well it's like just that. like
1: i think was the store one or was the one before that yeah. where i was just like this was, isn't great
2: it was probably the store one i watched the store one and it was it was pretty bad yeah so, yeah, yeah the store not like was it. not great
1: <laughs> and and yeah there are ones
2: like that like joe hasn't
1: done one in two or three years and i thought the new one was phenomenal yeah, well, I like really this new
2: good. one. You, you know what was interesting about the Louis, the, the store, one, Louie, is half of them were really good premises and nope. good jokes, but yeah. it just, they didn't, it seemed like he didn't unfinished. work them out. Yeah, yeah. they seemed unfinished. And, I, and that's my problem, because I don't, you know, I was, I was about to release a special, and then I was like, you know what, I'm watching everyone around me, and I'm like, you know, I, I just don't want to release something that I'm not, like... yeah fuck yeah well and is it timeless
1: (laughs) is it something like you look at those and i sound like a comedy historian but like go back and watch one of carlin's from like 77 right you if if i told you that was recorded now and he's talking about now you would go yeah it all sounds about like so when you talk about timeless is this shit that will always be funny forever right and so that's a lot of pressure but i've released albums um but but here's the other thing is like there's jokes on my last album from 2012 that I've redone that are way better. Mm-hmm. And that's and just, another thing.
2: You can't that's, put it back in the tube and do it over again. Right. And that's something like I'll retire shit on my own where I'm like, yeah, that's done. Yeah. But then I'll come back like six months later, like, oh, I haven't done that bit in a while. And you'll ever try, try it again. And then a whole different perspective on the bit. Yeah. Now it's a whole different bit that's way better. Yeah. So, like, that's, you know, I'm not in a rush anymore to do a special. Yeah, I'm, I agree. And, and it's sad because I think a lot of people are. Like, they feel like, you know, they're getting greedy almost, like, you know, special every year. And, and you're just diluting your, 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 your worth, I think. But
1: I, I think the benefit, though, too, is, like, you're a resourceful guy. You've figured out how to build, I wouldn't say an empire, but you've figured out how to make money on your own and, and kind of live comfortably and be, mm-hmm. and, without taking orders from anybody. And I think when you're that way and you're resourceful and you, you know that, like, I'm never going to starve, I think you can have the freedom to do that, and like for me, I'd rather Uber than than go fucking crank out shit that I don't, right. I don't think is yeah. good, just for the sake of like I need that sixty grand selling a special every year, yeah. And, but it's like, but also like I've had jobs where I've made six figures and I've made really good money working in corporate America, and um, I would rather do that than and. and and uh then to put out like shitty comedy because i have to do it and have to get paid yeah and the other thing that sucks about that is like 60 grand is not a lot of money it is when you're not making a lot but like 60 grand a year in california is right on the poverty line
2: No, yeah that's like 30 anywhere else
1: and imagine that like if you worked at a place like imagine if you worked at an uh, at a sunglass hut and you made 60 grand that year the difference is is Everyone that comes in that Sunglass Hut isn't going to be, like, those experiences aren't going to be captured in time and available forever. Right. So if you go, whoa, that was a really shitty year in my life where I worked in this job I didn't love. Well, what if that was on the internet forever? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I do think it's different now where you could have put a shitty special out 10 years ago and, and people go, oh, his first one's not good, but his second one's great. Nowadays, when people are dropping heat. Oh, yeah. You know, like, and the thing I loved about Joe's special um. Was that it was a reminder that like sometimes people can just go on stage and talk about life through their perspective and it just be funny. Like the thing that I loved about that is Joe's not like a niche comic. He wasn't talking about one particular topic. He didn't have one particular point of view. Wasn't afraid to poke fun at himself, contradict himself. But like you go through that special and it's literally like six bits in an hour, mm-hmm. and he's just talking through he's these. He's gotten things so good, especially conversational. with Conversational,
2: yeah. Podcasts have helped him out so much because he'll 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 talk for hours. You know, every podcast is three hours long. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean it's he does like six podcasts a week sometimes, and it's it's he's gotten so good at that conversation. There there is one thing that I kind of missed about Joe's comedy, but I think he's kind of coming around to returning to that. Is I really loved when he uh, mixed uh, like like stories and facts and taught you something. Well, While being one of, funny.
1: One of my favorite jokes in that was the one he opens with, where he's talking about edibles. And as a guy who doesn't eat edibles, I thought it was great to learn that. Yes. Where he talked about how it goes through your liver, mm-hmm. and that was what makes it ten times more psychoactive than smoking.
2: That, it. that formula is something that I've. No one else does that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, but that is something because you know, growing up uh, with Stanhope and Rogan as my friends, and when I first started comedy, being influenced by them a lot. That, that is one thing I it's pulled away. It's a high away. bar to start with, yeah, that, too, yeah, way. Yeah. But that's one thing I pulled away. Like, a lot of my bits are kind of like, even though if, if, it's, if I'm talking about dolphins instead of, uh, you know, Noah's Ark. But I'm still kind of teaching, like, you know, you know, dolphins rape 37 people a year. You know, like, so I did, that's one thing I learned my, in my style, personal style is I like trying to do that teachy thing. And then even if it is about poop. <laughs> yeah. But
1: but I do think there's merit to that And it's also proprietary In the sense of like I, I always tell people this When people go like What's the secret to good comedy There's this girl who lives in our neighborhood Who just started And I met her Ubering And she's like I want to be a comedian And I was like sure whatever You're a hot girl And you want to be funny But she actually really takes it seriously And really Like she's been to a million open mics And she's like I don't want to do what all the girls are doing I want to do my own thing And I was just like Well just write about you just write about the things that you experience from your perspective. And I, and I think if you write comedy from that place, it will be great and it will be personal mm-hmm. on your level. And you can't steal it. And so the thing is, <laughs> like, even if you're educating people about stuff that anybody could research and find out, they're not going to because those are things that only Brian's interested in. Right. And so when you're writing comedy about that, nobody else is going to do that because they don't share your precise interests in things versus when you're doing observational comedy and if you've been at the store a lot or you just be out, you're out in comedy a lot, you hear so much of like, so how about that Trump? Or how about this? Or, and they're just talking about current events. And it's like, everyone's doing that. I don't understand. Like when I see people doing observational comedy in their first couple years, it's like, you're that guy who goes, you know what there needs to be in this city? A good pizza place. And it's just like motherfucker. Do you have any idea the amount of competition in the pizza market? Right. And you're gonna get in and start doing observational comedy. And there are guys like, and then there are guys that are murderous at it, like Sebastian. Sebastian could tell you about his day, and it just levels you because yeah. you're like, this guy's fucking hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like he does. Uh, so a million people have done Uber bits. I refuse to talk about Uber on stage because it's been done to death. Right. But Sebastian goes up and opens his special with a bit about Uber. And you're just like, holy shit, that's
2: hilarious. He's, yeah, he's he's hilarious. Where he just goes, could
1: you imagine 20 years ago, a guy pulls up in a fucking Prius and goes, get in. You go, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like, just his way. It is kind of like, I, a, it is the border of, like, that hacky yeah. Italian yeah, guy. Yeah, but the sauce. Yeah. you can not talk about <laughs> the a, sauce. My, this is a gravy. Uh, <laughs> the gravy. The sweet the gugats. You know, just <laughs> saying, like, unnecessary Italian words that it yeah. don't make sense. But, um... But yeah, man, it's like it's just fucking weird how uh, people people worry about Joe. Joe taught me the biggest lesson in comedy, uh, and I, it was a behind the scenes on his very first special, the one where he had the backwards Kangol. hole, mm-hmm. I can't remember what special yeah. that was, yeah. but it was. I think it was like he did Shiny Happy Jihad, and then he did that special. It was at Tempe. Mm-hmm. Um, I was there. You were there. Yeah, yeah. I got, almost
2: got in a fight because was because <laughs> I would. I was filming, filming all the background. I heard stuff. you tell this story before yeah. somewhere. Yeah, and then some. I was filming some girl who was getting kicked out. She's like, "Stop filming me!" And I'm like, uh, I, "I can do whatever I want." You know? yeah. And then she like attacks me or oh, something wow. like that, and and then like her boyfriend came out and, and like she said I stole her ring because oh I think God. when she like hit my camera like her ring flew off or something. I don't even know what the fuck. I can't. Still so learn. then
1: you filmed mm-hmm. this, and I think this was what it was from. It might have been on a podcast or something way back in the day. But he said there's three phases to comedy. One. You're just trying to get laughs. And then, two, you go through that thing where um, you want to make, you want to get the back of the lo- room laughs. You want to write comedy that other comics like and respect. And then, that third one is where you get to a really truthful place of like writing from your own point of view and doing things that you think are meaningful but also funny to you. And you sort of become uh, like a comic with a purpose. And I, And I always use that simple three step playbook of like, is this a bit that is just me trying to get laughs? Is it me trying to appeal to the back of the room or is this really something that I think is is uh, it says something about what I care about and is funny? and um yeah, it's just so weird how how things like that stick with you, yeah, but that was probably there's so much advice you get in this business, a lot of it I've thrown away, but that was one that has always stuck with me about. Um, oh, yeah, like that's a good, simple three-step checklist to go. Is this lowest level, is this years one through three, years three through six, or six through nine? You know, where where would it fall? And then is there a way I can tie it in? Mm-hmm. So now when I write, I try to pull things from just my own life, and I try to think like, okay, what's funny about it? And then does it, does it tie into something that people can relate to on a more grand level? Right. Um And it's hard, but I think if you're doing that, you're not putting out a special every year to go back to what you were talking about at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And that, in a way, is like... I think the reason podcasts are so important and and so popular is because it's allowed people to see behind the act of comedians and entertainers. They're like, "I, I like Joe's comedy, but I want to know what kind of guy he is. That that makes him write that comedy. And I think that's why podcasting has been so popular. Um, because I think it gives people a peek into that process. And then they go, Oh, that's how they do it. And that's also why there's so many goddamn comedians now. Yeah. Yeah. Cause absolutely. people, people are the, I'm just like him. Yeah, exactly. I should be a comedian. I think some of this shit too. Like Burr's fans, Burr has to create more comedians every year than every other comic, because I think people listen to Monday morning podcasts and just go, I think some of this shit too. Yeah. I should be a comedian. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's
2: it's also disappointing though when you learn that a lot of comics use writers nowadays. Oh man, and that would kill like, me. Yeah, and like I don't, don't want to know. I I, I talked to a few people about it and they're like, "Yeah, but you know, if it's just, you know, an idea through this person's mouth, you know, that's one thing, but I I have a f- I know I don't want to say who, but I know a few people that have like multiple writers and you know, they they pretty much Almost gets scripts. Well, almost every black comic.
1: Like, Kevin Hart has, like, seven writers. Yeah. Like, Martin Chris Lawrence Chris has, Rock. like, four. Chris like, Rock. Rock has writers. I
2: remember when he was doing whatever that was, the Oscars or Grammy last time. Like He, came he was in doing with, spots at the store. Yeah, and he it's came impressive. in with all his writers. So, like, ten writers walk in. And the funny thing was, all of them were white. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's Not hilarious. one black writer on Chris Rock's very Oscars racist. Thing. Racial-driven, <laughs> yeah. Racial-driven uh
1: Thing. yeah which is i don't know i don't know your opinion on it but that's where i feel like the whole thing about like Ooh, should should white people be making jokes about this group and the whole concept that comedy has to punch up i've never agreed with that yeah because sometimes i think it's very funny to argue my own beliefs on stage yeah. so i'm really more showing people that they're full of shit and that they're not we haven't evolved and we aren't better Like when all this Trump stuff happens, people go, oh my God, I can't believe we're still this racist. They go, we never stopped. We never stopped. It's probably more racist now. (laughs) People are just getting the opportunity to share it. It But it's always been like that. And also, I don't think you're ever going to change it. I think the difference is you have to kind of lean into it and go, yeah, man, there's stuff about us that is always going to be different. And it's funny. If you don't get pissed about it, it can be very funny. Uh, If anyone ever came to me and goes, you said this about black people, I go, yeah, I was kidding. I'm a comedian. I do that. I'm a comedian.
2: Yeah. And, and, End and, and, of conversation. Yeah. We, we we almost need to like start like a a a reset. You know, cuz like especially lately how everything's been getting more more sensitive. Like, oh, he said retard 3 years ago or you know, th- so on and so on.
1: Yeah, people people when Trevor Noah got the Daily Show, they dug out tweets from like 7 years ago and he was like, I just watched a Jewish man almost get hit by a Mercedes and the irony of that and it's like that's brilliant. Yeah, It's a brilliant observation and people were just like he re- remember it's yeah, like the member-berries thing. Yeah. Remember yeah. the Holocaust? Remember? remember?
2: Remember when Trevor was racist? <laughs> that's a pretty yeah. damn good memberberry impression. <laughs> but but yeah, Hi, no, but I mean, <laughs> and I used to be pu- like before I was really well or more as known, I guess, as if I am known you know before you know, when I was like on MySpace you're you're not in the like, company of somebody who's yeah, going to like oh bay has got a
1: big fucking ego yeah, like but, you you've, you're a pretty well-known dude in the comedy world
2: but 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 back in like MySpace days let's, yeah. say, let's say uh did you used to check the comedy rankings in MySpace all the time no oh, I, I, I fucking I think did. I did i remember that we did yeah. yeah
1: i made the top 10 page one day and i was like yeah yeah so i was lucky because i
2: i released i was friends with uh, a guy that every time i would make a video he worked there. Jordy would work, uh, put it on the front page of MySpace. MySpace? So I like, I kind like, of got like a hits. cheat code, you know? Oh, that's dope. And then I made the Carlos Mencia Joe Rogan video, and then I was like, oh shit, you know? Yeah, that,
1: that was the most bar- That was the right. That was the first time I heard of you. Yeah. yeah. So
2: before that, uh, I I would like purposely say shit just to get you know. To get people wowed up, you know. But if you took any of those like quotes from that time period, or my live journal, or any of that shit, I'd be fucked. You You (laughs) can take anything out of
1: context. Well, there's also moments, and this is a weird thing. Like you, you probably run in this with podcasting, where there's a moment in a studio, or like right now, where we will look at each other and signal and be like I'm doing a thing, go with it. Mm -hmm. People don't see that. Yeah. So there are plenty of times when I used to do the Nobody Likes Onions podcast where I would make a statement for the sake of being absurd, where i just be like, don't all black people do that? Right, right. And then Patrick would respond in a way where he would be like, I can't believe you're saying this. Yeah. And he would play the straight guy, and then I would just jump into this thing of like, yeah. now I'm going to say the most yeah. matter-of-fact racist things, and you're going to play this role of, oh my god, what? Yeah. They do that? And I was like, yeah, all of them. They all do. Like, So you're kind of creating this improvised bit on the fly, Nobody outside of the room sees that. And unless you listen to the show and you know our style of humor, anybody could snapshot that, pull it out all of right. context, and go, oh, he really believes this about black people. Mm-hmm.
2: And it's just like. And, and that's, it sucks because it happens to almost everyone. Like it's happened to all the new SNL girls, even Melissa. Melissa Villasenor. Yeah, even Melissa, who's like the biggest sweetheart in the world. They're pulling out old. Quotes that she or tweets that she did from four years ago, which were funny, hilarious. But but, but, like, 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 oh, now she's a racist. They even like pulled out tweets like that she was racist against a Mexican, and she's Mexican, right? (laughs) Right. Like, it's so stupid. Well, also, like, we're not allowed to be people, yeah. And like, you know,
1: if I were to come out and criticize white people, nobody would claim. But if I was black, and and this is the thing, I have a friend who's a comedian who's a black dude and out of Minneapolis, and he's one of the most critical people, persons I know of black people. So I was like there's a lot of times he and I would see the same things but I go if you go on stage and do it it's revolutionary and if I go on stage and do it it's it's a hate rally. And I go but we're both making the same observations and it was things of like when we would be out somewhere we would see black people doing stereotypical shit we'd both be like god damn it you're ruining it you're ruining it for everybody. We're trying to make progress and you're doing the thing that we're supposed to do all the time don't do that. It's like Chappelle's bit about like I didn't know I was supposed to love chicken i just thought it was delicious like, you mean i'm genetically pre-wired to love chicken um but it's like stuff like that and but it's crazy to me that people will assess the legitimacy of that being comedy by the package that it comes in like if a black dude makes a hilarious joke about redheaded people i'm not gonna go that's our shit i'm gonna be like that's funny mm-hmm. and I it should be it should be colorblind comedy like justice should be colorblind there shouldn't be any predisposition of like this person can't make jokes about this but we've almost launched past that of like who can make jokes about what to where we're now in this world where the internet just pretends things aren't jokes mm-hmm. where like we just go like yeah it, it, the thing i always compare it to is um it would be like if people were like we're not hiring that ed norton he is a racist he is a white supremacist. he has a nazi logo on his chest and you're like that was a movie that was just a character he played in a movie and they're like yeah but still right <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just like, whoa. We yeah. can't just look at a snapshot in somebody's career and go, this is who they are as a person definitively, you know? it's I don't know. It's it's comedy talk. And we we I talk about that shit on the podcast all the time. I'm sure you've talked about it to the nth degree, too, where it just yeah.
2: gets exhausting. It is. Yeah, well, free speech is getting exhausting and talking and t- Twitter and... Anything like all the, the rules and the the PC principles, you know, like it's yeah, it's 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 getting crazy. Are you a big South Park fan? Uh, I'm a huge South Park yeah. fan. This this that's season, my dream
1: job, by the way. For a lot of people that yeah. do what we do, they want to do SNL. I would actually turn down SNL because I don't want to live in New York ever.
2: Right. Um,
1: but South Park.
2: South Park. I would quit
1: everything. Like if you if I could go write one season, I would just be like, kill me. I'm yeah. done. Yep. I'm done at life.
2: I agree. Because it
1: is the most on point satire of of our culture yeah. and it always has been yeah
2: this season's uh taking a little longer to get to i think the payoff yeah well it's almost like westworld that way <laughs> yeah i know where you're just
1: like come on give me something i know when is the turn with cartman
2: happening i know something's coming something's coming the, these member berries yeah what how does it tie in is the yeah. question yeah
1: but i that when the member berries thing i was like what the hell because somebody told me like you got to watch the premiere and i watched it and i saw the member berries thing i was like i don't get this at all and then they were just like, Remember when there weren't so many Mexicans? And I was like, Oh, that's where they're taking yeah. it. Like so the nostalgia is pushing people to a place of this openness with the shittiest parts of who we are as a people. That's mm. that's it's a bitch. But uh We'll, we'll wind this down I'm sure you got shit you got to do today are you, are, you, are you doing Tony on Monday? yeah Mondays, kill right?
2: Tony and I got, uh, got to dress up as Indiana Jones for one last time are you doing yeah that was a great <laughs> if you
1: guys follow uh, Brian it's, it was at Redman on Instagram yeah R-E-D-B-A-N and then same with Twitter and stuff yeah. you can see you as Indiana Jones yeah
2: and my girlfriend is Asian short round short round that's hilarious is, yeah hilarious great yeah. sex too is no, Yeah. I, don't play like you guys haven't done that. No time for love, Dr. Joan. How many times have you made her say that to you? She, she even carries around these two potatoes, and she goes, hold your potatoes. Yeah, there's so many. Okie dokie. I could
1: not, you know, and this is the thing. Like, in the minute I saw that, I was like, oh, there's going to be so much fun sex uh, role-playing with oh, her, yeah. those outfits. And,
2: and there's so many hilarious quotes, because she was looking up, Quotes. the quotes yeah they're are so are many great oh Larry's quotes when when she does it like like does she do the voice too yeah and oh, you forget yeah. that like this is supposed to be a boy saying this to a man right but it's like I love you dr Jones <laughs> like, <laughs> cover your heart dr Jones. cover your heart <laughs> yeah because the guy pulls by the way what a horrific
1: <laughs> thing back then I know. Uh, that that scene was etched in my mind for oh, my entire definitely. life. Definitely. monkey dude brains? pulling the heat up.
2: Yeah, monkey and, and this brains? And it's PG-13. Yeah. No, what 13-year-old needs to see a, a guy th- grabbing a heart through a chest and, and, and a monkey's brain? You know, like, there's so much. That, I can't I, that I would never that, happen to me. I
1: watched that movie again as an adult and was like, ooh, this is whimsical and fun. That was a fucking horror movie <laughs> when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah.
2: When I watched that, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Even Raiders of the Lost Ark when the, the Nazi opens up the thing. Park of the mo- Covenant? Yeah, in face melts. melts oh my god I, I remember shitting myself as a young kid <laughs> yeah yeah See,
1: some of those things were like how the fuck did they let us watch this yeah
2: it's nuts it is nuts well thanks for doing it man thank you man I'm thank you for you the us today too yeah
1: and uh that's that's how we do it we'll have you on again i mean anytime you want yep it's right around the it's literally oh, around yeah. the corner gotta
2: get you on my podcast now yeah
1: it'd be fun <laughs> um but yeah, and uh, you guys can check Brian out on uh, Kill Tony podcast, yep. right? What uh, Brian Redband do. What Brian Redband that?
2: do, yeah. Ice House Chronicles. Uh, we're doing a bunch, so you just go to TV. There you go. Perfect. Thanks, man. I- thank you.